0: In late 2022, Medibank and Optus were targets of sophisticated hackers who stole sensitive data about millions of Australians, including me. At the other end of the scale were individuals who are dealing with what sometimes seems like a daily barrage of attempts to hack into our lives and con us out of our hard-earned money. How can we protect ourselves?
1: Welcome to your first home
0: buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyer's agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step.
1: Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode, and if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property, and our where to buy a workshop for only $39.
0: Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice we always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording but things change so check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information
1: Today we're talking about how scarily easy it is to lose money to scammers and we have a special guest who you would think this could never happen to and yet it did but before we introduce her, what's your special
0: guest? Special background in a video this week, Megan, what the hell is For that? For those watching, you know, it used to be lock your doors, lock your windows, stop people from getting into your house. It's just no longer about that. We can't physically stop people getting into our lives and and I guess what we're trying to do today is uncover some of those scams and including property related ones where you need to lock more than just the physical house, you actually need to lock down your, your um, cyber cybersecurity. Look down your phone. We're so thrilled to have
1: Sarah Begginson joining us today. She's the head of editorial at Finder and writes about all things money and property. So when I saw in LinkedIn that a little while ago that she'd been scammed, I thought, oh, we need to have a conversation about this. As a worst case scenario, this could have a diabolical impact on someone saving for their first home. And let's face it, you guys have got so much more money in the bank than most people,
2: so it's a bit of a risk. Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much. It was it was truly mortifying to admit that I'm, <laughs> uh, you know, a finance journalist. And I'm meant to be a money expert, and I got swindled. So oh, a horrifying. Tell us what happened? Experience. You know what, these scammers, they're getting so sophisticated and mm. it was really one of those combinations of like right time, right place situations. So I got one of those texts that almost everyone knows about where it says you haven't paid your toll. Um <laughs> gone through a link. Simple, you know, right? The toll road, Simple toll. Yeah. And, and we all kind of, we get those. And, uh, I never cross toll bridges or toll roads. Usually I live on the Gold Coast. We don't have many toll roads. And I got this text the day after I had gone over the, the bridge in Brisbane and. Two months before this, I had a problem with my account where my husband and my account, we had two different toll things and they merged and one got suspended and all sorts of things. So I'd spent a bunch of time with them trying to combine the accounts and get everything, you know, up to speed. So when I got a text saying your your payment didn't go through, click here to pay it, it seemed really legit Ooh, to me feasible. because I'd had, I'd had these things happen yeah. that made it seem legit. Now, I got the text at 6 o'clock in the morning and wasn't really paying attention to it properly. And if I had been, I would have seen all the red flags in it, um, which I'll get to in a second. But at this point, I just got the text, clicked on it, put my, it said, enter your credit card details here, which I did, um, pressed OK, And if the scammers had been... not too greedy. That would have been the end of it. I would have closed the the thing, and I would have just gone on with my day and they possibly would have accessed you know thousands of dollars worth of um, transactions on my card instead um they were greedy and after i pressed okay they said our oh, payment didn't go through now enter your bank details and as soon as i got that it said log into your bank here and as soon as it did that i went oh my gosh this is a scam oh, so i then go back wow. and look at the original text and see that it's got typos in it and that there's a warning you're going to have a $500 fine if you don't pay immediately which of course like toll companies don't. don't actually do that. <laughs> yes. So the, the clues were there. I just really, it was one of those you perfect I was groggy, I was tired, I just didn't pay attention. And that's what they rely on. Since Mm. I've kind of been talking about this and we did a bunch of research at Finder about it, so I've been talking to a few people about it. And so many of the stories that people share are really similar. I was on my run and I got a text and I just thought, while I was on the run, I'll just click through and I'll Mm. pay it. Or, you know, I was on my commute and this email came through and it all seemed so legit. They're really, really sophisticated now and, um, yeah, I I was extremely lucky because as soon as it happened at 6 o'clock in the morning and as soon as I saw the enter your bank details, I went, oh, no, you're an idiot and I instantly called my bank and they put a hold on my card. So the scammers didn't get away with anything uh, financially but then it just caused that huge pain of having to change all of my Mm all of my direct debits over and, you know, it was just painful, an extra thing I didn't need to do.
0: Well, firstly, thank you for sharing that because I think what we want people to understand is it's not just silly people. It's not just um, elderly people. It's not people who are financially illiterate. It's not people who are technologically illiterate. You are a smart woman (laughs) who is in this space and this got you. And, And I think the thing that we want to I guess, really open up Pebble's mind to is you don't, sometimes you are just in a rush and you do it, you know, Mm. you've done it. So, you know, kudos to you for sharing this because I think it's important that we know that this is happening
2: to normal, everyday intelligent people. Absolutely, it, it like everyone is at risk of it, and they're not. You know, if even just five years ago, they were nowhere near as clever as they are now. They were <laughs> a lot more clunky, a lot more kind of spelling mistakes and things like that. But these days, the level of sophistication, and particularly as you said, um, you know, with the the Optus scam and the oh sorry, the Optus data breach and the Medibank data breach which I happen to be customers of both. Happy oh, day. <laughs> um, and uh, and I'm also with AHM now, so I've got the third in there too. But with these types of things, I'm hearing about the really sophisticated scams now of people calling up, they're accessing that data and people are getting calls saying, oh, you had a, um, you know, you had a treatment six months ago, uh, you know, some some sort of medical treatment and you didn't actually pay your full uh, anaesthetist bill back then. So you owe oh, $300 wow. and you pay it immediately, you know, like they use, all of this information that is quite um, specific and personalised Personal. makes you mm. think it's legit. Um, and well, it can. There was that one that was much. going
0: around where um, parents were getting mm-hmm. WhatsApps from their children. Yeah. Um, apparently, I you there, You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've lost my wallet. Can you send me some money? And then suddenly, you know, this is the new communication channel that they've got, and and there's money being, you know, bleeding out of their accounts.
2: It's horrible. And I think the other thing too is the the, heartstrings. the the official stats on it are also lower than the reality because so many people don't report it. They mm. either, um, they either don't think to report it. You know, they've had this horrible thing happen and they're too busy trying to recover their money or, you know, get their credit card back in, in, in yeah. working order and stuff. So they're busy doing the logistics. And the other side is people don't want to report it because it feels embarrassing. And mm. Um, you know, that's that's the part of this that I want people to really kind of just kick that kick that off a cliff. Yeah. This can happen to anyone. And if it happens, the more you actually can talk about it with your friends and family and things is great because you could save them from doing the same thing. And I have been yes. talking, when this happened to me, um, you know, I, we did a, a bit of um, like a media campaign at Finder because mm-hmm. we've done some research around it. So I was talking about it quite a lot with a lot of people and the amount of stories that came up of people are saying, oh, that happened to me. I was really embarrassed. I didn't want to say anything. And like, the more you can talk about this, the more other people learn. And then hopefully people listening right now will know that when they get a text message from a toll company, it is 99.9%. Not going to be legitimate. So Certainly if it actually. says click here to enter your credit card details. Especially if it says that. And yeah. especially if it says $500 fine, that's a bit of a red flag <laughs> that I should have <laughs> noticed. It's funny, actually, because for Scam Watch Week
1: <clears throat> um, or Scam Alert Week, uh, my bank, you know, sent through communication and showing you some of the, or trying to train you. Had a little quiz to sort of see how how on on it are you. I think I'm sort of so so um suspicious these days. I don't, um, I can't say I won't fall for it, but I hopefully won't. But I had Telstra chasing me because they stuffed something up with uh, we changed our mobile phone bills over to Telstra, and they actually stuffed something up. And I hadn't paid this account that they'd stuffed up. And they kept calling me, and it sounded sus, so I kept avoiding it and I kept ignoring it. And then uh, my phone got disconnected. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but I'd rather that I'd yeah. rather that than than falling for it. But even years ago, when I first was, you know, when I was in my twenties and I had credit cards, and I there was a scam back then. This is a long time ago, kids. Um, there was a scam back then where somebody had hacked into my card and they took out like a twenty cent. Uh, charge. Mm-hmm. And then they do these little tiny charges. And if you didn't pick them up, they try a $1.59 charge. And, and then all of a sudden, the $20, $100 started coming through. And back then, and uh I don't know if I should mention the bank, but I went to the bank to say I've discovered this. And it was only the bigger charges that sort of triggered my awareness of it. Yeah. But when you added it all up, it was quite a bit.
0: Yeah. And would they
1: would only honor three months of that back then. They wouldn't go wow. right back. Interesting. Yeah. But this is obviously, and so that was the early days of scamming.
2: That's so interesting because it shows how it's evolved. I remember that as well. I remember when that scam was going around and they did that, to, like you said, to see how much you're checking your Mm. bill. If you're not noticing the little ones, they're hoping you won't notice the big ones. Um, But it's really interesting to now see how banks are treating it because the thing with my, my situation is I willingly clicked on this link yeah. And the red flags were there. Like I completely admit it was my fault, the the spelling mistakes and all the things. Even mm. the date was wrong when I looked at it. I, I had gone through the day before, but the date they had was from September where I absolutely oh. used the 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 road. So um, if they had actually accessed my card, my bank likely would not have paid me back any of it because wow. they are really starting to, they, they can't afford it. They, you know, yeah. it's literally tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars a year now and they're kind of now adopting policies where they say if you if it happened because you got skimmed you know you 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 did your card um you know through no fault of your own you're just buying something you're at an atm and there was some sophisticated skimming mm-hmm. that's a different story they'll often pay it then but if you willingly put your information somewhere that's not uh, you know not legitimate they're now starting to push back and say oh we can't help you
1: that's interesting. so interesting because you know I've been watching this and I've been thinking the banks have to make sure that everybody has confidence in using their cards in using the debit cards and their credit cards transferring money online mm. you know it's it's in their interest to know that we've got confidence to do that but so you're saying now that the the tide is turning a little bit now it's like okay bye beware we're going to educate you Mr and Mrs Ms. M- Mr. Consumer, if you press the wrong button and you take action, whereas we've warned you, then it's not on us anymore. Interesting. Mm. yeah. it is a warning.
2: It is. And and I think I I definitely would say to anyone who is listening who maybe has been scammed, still approach them. It's always worth asking. It's case by case. And sometimes I've seen some stories where they do kind of, they do come to the party. But um, I think they're, these are relatively new policies too, but I think they're just kind of, having to reach that point where they go, you know, you have to take responsibility personal for your responsibility, role in it. Mm-hmm. And that's the real challenge now. Like in the, in the, wake of all of these data breaches with medicare and ahm and everything you know i went at at finder um, we've got a really amazing kind of it team and i went to them and they've been really good at supporting staff they're like you know if you've been impacted by this you know these are the things you should do to protect your identity and i went to them and i said what what are the risks like what could actually happen for us and we actually produced a few articles on this too to try and help people understand and they said you know there's the identity theft where they could actually use all of these bits of information to set up you know credit cards or personal loans and things in your name so there's that risk um but then there's all sorts of different ways they can use this information against you and it's now falling on us as consumers to set up like the biggest advice they gave us is everyone should set up two factor authentication on as much as you can every app or every opportunity you have to do that you should do it um and i always used to find that annoying, like this extra oh, thing, you it? know. You've got to have your phone <laughs> with you with the authenticator thing. But now I'm, I'm really starting to see that there's a benefit in it, and that I, you know, it's it's becoming more and more a thing where it's falling on us individually to protect ourselves, as well as, um you know, we can't just rely on the the banks bailing us out. And there are some really heartbreaking stories of people who lose tens of thousands, their mm. bank accounts get wiped out, and stuff, and. Um, you know, as as well as these text ads, you know, it seems like for us, I think because uh, I know in our house we used to get way more of those um, phone calls, you know, to try and get access to your screen. Oh, you know, it's Telstra. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Telstra calling and your internet's not good and we just need to jump on with you. And my husband used to enjoy like playing along with them and stretching it out for 15 <laughs> minutes and then like, there's no way, mate, I'm not giving you access. Um, and then they would start yelling at you and he's like, I'm pretty sure Telstra wouldn't yell at me and then they hang up. Um, <laughs> but um, those those have kind of, we, we're getting less of them, but I also think that's probably because we don't have a landline anymore, so yeah you know, maybe that's why that one has dried up a bit, but they just, no matter, it's kind of like you said before, you, there would used to be a different way they would scam you. No matter how our economy evolves, no matter how much our currency evolves and our, you know, digital payments now are just every year we use them more and more. I think I was looking at some research this morning and 70% of people prefer digital payment methods. So it's not, you know, we're going to keep changing the way that we Uh, buy and purchase and use our money. But these scammers will continue to evolve the way they can separate us from our money. So it's just becoming more and more important for us to be vigilant.
1: Yeah, and look, obviously, as they become more and more sophisticated, it's scary. You mentioned earlier about people being called up to say, "Look, you know, you had this medical, you know, MRI back in, you know, three months ago, and you didn't pay all your bill. I need your credit card details to top it up." Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, that's a call that could be made after somebody's downloaded their Medibank data. So, yep. so you can sort of see how that data can then be used by, if a nefarious means. Um, but also the I, I knew somebody who bought something on a Black Friday sale, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, on a website that looked like a normal sale mm-hmm. website, but wasn't a normal sale website. Put her her credit card details in. Oh, she actually used a debit card. That's where she said I made a mistake. I use a debit card, not a credit card. Wow. Um, she put a debit card in, bought a barbecue that never arrived. Then the site didn't really exist, but also they just started using the, the credit card until she waiting a few days and for it to be delivered. And of course, it wasn't until it wasn't delivered that she even realised that something was wrong, trying to find them. So you know that that's extraordinarily um, sophisticated to go to the lengths of creating an entire mm. website. She's obviously they're obviously using Google Ads to get yeah. it on a search, you know, so people actually find it and click on it. It yeah. doesn't look any different to what they thought they were looking for. Uh, I was looking at uh, an article from S- St. George Bank, and they were putting up examples of login pages that one looked, they looked exactly the same. Um, yeah. It's just that you looked at the, the IP address and you go, oh, that's not actually
2: St. George's website. Like, yeah. it's scary. It's so scary. And it's even, even things like my mom, she's 71, 72. And, you know, I think it's for digital natives and people that have grown up online. If you're under kind of 35, there's a lot more of this is intuitive. Mm. But for my mom, she booked a flight once a few years ago. And when I looked at her itinerary, cause she'd printed it out, I said, this website, where did you buy this flight from? And it was something like flights are us Norway. She'd actually bought this like Virgin domestic flight through a Norwegian online site, and when I then dug into the the details of it, she'd paid like a, a international currency transfer fee. Oh it looked and really different. cheap, yeah. But and it wasn't actually a scam. It just happened to be one of those you know weird online travel agents that is based overseas. Um, but it just made me realise how much more difficult it is for people who you know, are are a little bit older and this is so, it's the opposite of intuitive to them. It's like the Mm. Wild Wild West and they don't understand it. So that type of Black Friday sale looks completely legit Mm. to to kind of that older generation and it's that's the really hard thing about this is it always comes back, the onus comes back on us to double check. And I had it recently, the Black Friday sales were huge and, you know, you'd see things pop up in your Instagram and (laughs) it's like all those vases look nice. But then a couple of times I was thinking, how do I know this is actually... Mm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I hunt because I wanted to buy some really beautiful. Actually, you can see it here. This little pink chair. Oh. I wanted to buy a couple of them, and I, I, but they weren't cheap. And I was like, "Do I really want to buy this? You know, it's five hundred dollars in total. What if this is not a real shop and I don't get the chairs? Like it is a bit of a risk you take. But I bought it with PayPal, knowing that PayPal has a bit of that risk protection, you know, built in. But yeah, it is pretty. It's pretty scary. There's so many different ways you can be stung.
0: And yeah. it's sort of pushed onto you now, as you say, through Instagram or whether it's TikTok or it's Facebook, whatever it is, it's it feeds into you as opposed to you going looking for it in a lot of cases. And and I know, you know I bought I'm, I'm a scuba diver. I bought a dive watch um, through a Facebook ad, and the company looked legit, and there there seemed to be some reviews, and sent off my my money. I actually did it through PayPal. I, I some time ago, I decided that I just wouldn't buy off any sites that didn't have PayPal as an option. Um, and unfortunately, what happened was I kept emailing them going, you yeah, know, this hasn't arrived yet. Yeah, sorry, you know, it, it was in COVID. So um, suppliers, chains, so forth, we haven't got it from the supplier and it just went outside that six-month mark of protection with PayPal oh. and the site was gone. The whole company had had gone. So my seven $800 had, had disappeared and PayPal said, not too bad, it's outside the six months that we will actually oh, that's so you know, give you the cover. But it was almost like they knew that that was the mm. time they had to stretch you out for. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how many other people got caught by that.
2: And that's such a huge amount of money, you know, like mm. $8 billion is such a big amount of money. Yes. And, you know, that I think that the official like number for 2021 is $2 billion in total that we know of that's been reported. I reckon the real number is probably Ten times that, you know. Yeah. Did you yeah. did you report that to Scam Watch?
0: No, I didn't report to Scam Watch. I because the site was gone by then. But I obviously, you know, put in a um, a, a um, claim through my bank, which again didn't go anywhere. Um, did through PayPal. Put some comments on it. You know, the, the sites were all gone by then, so you couldn't even really. So I thought about you- doing Scam Watch. That's a good idea. I'll do that. We put the link in the show
1: notes, by the way, of Scam Watch. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it's a good example, though, of like you—you ha- you got yeah. like $300, mm. and that is—that's data that's not officially captured because a lot of people don't think to report it. We think to do—you did exactly what the practical did, steps, the practical yeah. next steps of trying to get your money back, but we don't often think of reporting it. Um, you know, it's just not top of mind. But I, I, that's why I think that figure is probably so much higher. Well,
0: these are great little piece of advice for all report of us. it to report it <laughs> yeah yeah because I guess the more that we know about what these things can look like I mean this one around tolls it really really got a lot of people at the start and uh, you know I had mum sending me going do you think this is legitimate and then it started coming into a lot of other people's phones yeah okay all right well this is you're without doubt a scam um but the more we talk about it the more we share these stories the quicker people are going to pick up on it and and as you say be able to say no I I'm suspicious of that. I'm not going to do anything with it.
2: And I feel really sorry for the companies too. Like when this happened mm. for me, I, the first thing I did was I called the credit card company, canceled my card. And then I went to the toll company in Brisbane and looked up their website. And of course, in big writing at the top of their website, we are aware of a scam. And oh. I clicked on that link and I was like, oh man, this is definitely, at that time, at that time I was still holding out hope that maybe it wasn't a scam, but I clicked on that and You know, they had all the information there. These are the ones we're aware of. This is the wording they're likely to use. If you've had a scam, send us the screenshots here. So I did that. I clicked on it and I sent them the screenshots and they wrote back and said, yes, we can confirm this is a scam. This didn't come from us. Um, And I I think just doing that and reporting, it just helps them get the data because maybe the the way that this particular scammer was trying to get me, maybe it's evolved a bit and the wording is slightly different or they're using Mm. a different link. It just it helps them kind of build their information up. But I feel sorry for them. They must spend so much money trying to protect their brand too, but also just trying to, you know, that's staff and man hours, yeah, with the reporting of these scams and helping people for something that they they just happen to exist and someone has chosen their business to target and they have to invest in it. It's like it's so unfair. The cost is epic on businesses um, and on consumers. It's just it's wild. But I think to my point of why it's so important to uh, report it is that you know, we know with the government that they spend money where the loudest kind of voices come yeah. from. And if we, if we had last year there were $2 billion worth of scams reported and then this year lots more people actually reported it and that number doubled to $4 billion. you know, th- th- those those um, powers that be would start to take notice and go, oh, my gosh, this is a problem we can't, you know, avoid. We're going to have to put more resource into it or, you know, deploy more, more um, initiatives to try and help with this. So, you know, reporting is just I think one of those things that can help.
0: Yeah, I I'm totally agree. When you say that. Because what 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 is it that a government could do? What what are some of the things that we could be putting some pressure on our politicians to to become more aware of or take action on or you know what are some of the things?
2: There are there are things that happen, you know, that we don't even have any awareness of or you know things that happen behind the scenes in terms of technology. I mean, this is going um in a completely different direction, but um the government at the moment uh accesses and stores two years' worth of our phone data every year. Um, And, like, every text message, every email you send, every web search you do on your phone, they're holding that and storing it. It's a total, um, you know, privacy concern, (laughs) completely different to what we're talking about here today. But the fact that the government stores that information, they actually, as far as I'm aware at the moment, they store it on the Amazon servers in uh, in the United States. So they have access to all that information and data. And so that tells me that they kind of are, have have the ability behind the scenes to see and access a lot of information so i think there are for all these scams that we're getting there's there's a lot of work being done to try and stop them before they even reach us um and it's all way too technical for me to understand uh, how it all works but i think there's You know, um, you hear, well, even just in a a workplace setting, at at my work at Finder, we have about 500, just over 500 staff globally. And, um, you know, our IT reports will tell us every few months, oh, we've stopped, you know, X amount, tens of thousands, you know, 26,000 phishing emails from reaching Mm -hmm. your inbox this month. At a business level, we do this, but I think the government is probably doing some things in that respect as well. But it would also just be things like they would set up task forces to, you know, really dig into the weeds of where this is happening and why and how, and, you know, just putting more resource into maybe liaising with banks and stuff too, to help them understand what their obligations and responsibilities are. There's there's just so many kind of strands that come off this and so many people and businesses get affected. I mean, they can
1: set booby traps too. I mean, mm. see, they can, and that's one of the ways in which they can invest is to to actually to try to lure these people out, out of the weeds, um, into clear into clear air. One of the things that's particularly insidious and and really does relate to property are these phishing emails. And uh, I know that with Pexa, for instance, now we have uh, Pexa is um well, electro- uh, digital conveyancing, right? So basically by a lot of um, our conveyancing going into the cloud and going into automation and all the rest of it. Some of this is taken out, but sometimes you have to send deposit monies to agents or you're sending money to your uh, conveyance or solicitor to pay for rates or balance accounts or whatever you're doing. And that that invoice has been sent to you via an email. And then there are organizations out there that are scanning these emails for this information. And then they send out another email to say, oh, look, I just need to notify you that we've changed our bank account. This has caught heaps of people out, this type of information. Then they go and pay Mm. um, and use the bank details in the second email, not on the invoice. And of course, the actual person sent the invoice in the first place, none the wiser.
0: And 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 Never and they the money. look so yeah. legitimate. They look so believable. Yeah, it's
1: gone. It's literally yeah. gone out of your bank account. Not that money really exists in your bank account, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but gone like the dollar, hundred dollars gone. Yeah, the numbers have gone out of your balance. Um, yeah, and and this is not uncommon. You know, I've heard of this happening enough times for me to almost be able to name people that have, have been victim to it. Mm. Um, and so, and that's something to be aware of too, because particularly when you're buying a property, you are often sent requests for money that are out that from people you don't normally send money to. They're for bills that you've never had to pay before. And so it's just another area to be particularly vigilant. Um, always pick up the phone and check if somebody sends you an email saying they've just suddenly ch- changed their bank account. Ooh, really? Oh,
2: yeah, interesting. It's the red flags, right? And, but this is the thing, particularly for first-time buyers, if you've not bought property before, th- these types of things might seem completely normal. Like you mm. don't even know. Oh, maybe maybe uh, real estate agencies change their bank account details mm. a lot. Like why would I know any different, um, you know, for someone who's bought and sold a lot of property, that would maybe set off a red flag. Like mm. oh, why would this real estate agency that's trading a lot of money, thats this would cause them a lot of stress to change their bank account. Exactly. For no reason. They answer, they're that. not easy to change. That's for sure. Exactly. 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 Um, the best and email I
1: saw, though, was, well, because we've been hacked, we've had to change our bank account. <laughs> yeah,
2: right? <laughs> and that could sound really legit. Like I it's, know. It's just, it's so frustrating to me that there's so much onus on us to have to, like, be so uh, vigilant. vigilant. And, mm. um, and one of the best and easiest ways to stay on top of it, and this is something that in my 20s I did, didn't care about, was um, checking your credit score. Um, because when you yeah. get, um, when you, when these things start to happen, like if you do get scammed or if someone accesses, like if someone used your information to go get a personal loan, you might not be aware of that for literally months or even years. Like they yeah. could just have debt building somewhere. And until the bank starts knocking on your door six months later going, Hey, you're not making your repayments," and you'd have no idea about it. So um, being on top of your credit score and you can, you can do it for free, you can get your credit score for free. There's a couple of different major providers um, in Australia. There's uh, Experian and I can't remember the other one. Hilia. Find yeah. those and pop them in the show notes because I think that is a
0: wonderful yeah. piece of advice. Yes. And probably oh, the biggest takeaway from here is, and, and if you check your credit score, does that affect your credit score? No, because that's that a really is good a question. common misconception. It's
2: a Really good question, and a lot of people worry about that. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't give a nice little plug for the Finder app here, because we pop your credit score in there, um, and that's a great way to check it every month. Um, I I was literally just then looked at it to see if my credit score had changed, and it's gone up nine in the last month, which I have no idea why. <laughs> um, well done, you. Yeah, I don't know what I did, um, but it becomes quite. Um, it's very reassuring for me, particularly in the last few months when we've had all of these, you know, data breaches. Um, well, you know what I'm doing the moment that we stopped this podcast, <laughs> don't you? After my data went
0: out with Optus.
2: Yeah, it's it's great. It's great just for a little bit of reassurance that the big things are not happening. You know, on a smaller scale, you should be checking your credit card statement every month and your bank yeah. statement every month because um, even, you know, you just, that there are so many things, like you said before, those little $1 scams, they actually still happen now. They're just a bit more digital, but yeah. they're still... Happen now so looking at your credit card every month it's great practice anyway just to check and see that maybe you got you know double charged for something Mm. or you know it's 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 a or or to look for subscriptions you don't need anymore and you're like i'm still paying for amazon Prime, and i haven't watched tv shows on that for six months so (laughs) always check your credit card statements and your bank statements but But um, there's another scam amazon prime
0: (laughs) i was getting phone calls saying you're your renewal is overdue, or yeah. and you're going to get changed, charged ninety nine dollars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like you, you know, <laughs> um, click uh, cl- Yeah, 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 click here yeah. or uh, press two or something. It's, I keep looking at my phone, going, I know I don't have an Amazon yes. subscription. Yeah, like, that click was really link. believable.
1: I had one, click this link, otherwise your subscription, monthly subscription is going to go from $9 to $99. And I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> funny. I don't <laughs> have a subscription.
0: The <laughs> increase. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, some of them you wonder. Why do these
2: people not work for good? Why must they work for evil? Because this is creative stuff. <laughs> I know. They're very creative, clever people. But that, that's the problem is it does work for them. They get all of this free, easy money. It's horrible. So like I've got it. So- a- Question for you,
1: Sarah. So now Finder has all this information. What does Finder have in place to protect people? Like if I'm going to suddenly log log in and go, right, I'm going to give you all all my credit cards, all my bank details and the rest of it so that you can keep a track of my credit score. um,
2: How do I know that's protected? Yes, I know. Another great question. So When you download our app, um, you do have to do what's called a KYC, which is um, that stands for Know Your Customer, and that's giving a little bit of your private information so that we can verify it's you. So we um, say you download the app and put your, um, it might be your licence, your name, your address, and your licence in. We don't store that information. We um, use that to verify instantly with our credit um, consumer agency to, to verify that it's you. Um, and then you it's kind of like you're giving permission for that information to come through the app to you. But it's not like we have a database somewhere. That this is the problem with, you know, with the Medibank one, for instance. Mm. They had a database somewhere with everyone's everything. Yeah, they're keeping the information instead yeah, of just we, utilizing it. Exactly. We we utilize it. We don't store it. Um so it's um yeah, the KYC process in the tech world is pretty um like encrypted. Mm. Um and uh yeah, it, so so it is quite, it is funny though when we do, sometimes we do, um, you know, like uh, what are you, conferences and exhibitions and stuff like that and we're kind of encouraging people to download the app because you can, you know, tr- track your things and everything and we will get people right there in front of us who are trying to download it. They're like, why do you need my licence details? Is this going to be, you know, are you going to sell yeah. all my information to someone and, you know, you get, am I going to get third-party marketing, you know, from everyone now? And but
0: that we're used like, to be the concern, didn't it? I know. I mean, I, realistically, until this happened, recently, the major concern was, are you selling my data to somebody else? Am I going to get hit with marketing information? Are they going to use it for some, something else? It's now not, are you going to sell it, but are you going to lose it?
2: I know. I know. Isn't that <laughs> so interesting? We used to be worried about being signed up to e-newsletters we didn't want. Now we're yeah. worried about things <laughs> can't cleared out. It's a it's a much more horrifying risk. <laughs> I've yeah, using
0: some stories ago. remember a little while ago, Veronica, there were some stories and I think it was mainly WA based, and I can't tell you why, but I think it was because it was absent owners that were targeted. But there there were people who were posing as the owners of properties and getting agents, to real estate agents, to sell those properties. And they weren't the owners of the properties. They were just simply saying, oh, I I live overseas. So they were actually finding properties where um, the legitimate owners did live overseas. And so there was some authentication errors on the agent's behalf in identifying the individuals who are claiming to be the owners but that sort of worked out this little loophole where you know the owner was overseas they were saying they're overseas they weren't verified as the actual owners of the properties and they were selling the properties and pocketing the funds and
2: horrifying yeah and then I wonder what happens then you know like does the new owner who who That's horrifying. (laughs) It is, (laughs) is, is, isn't
1: it? I don't even know. I tell you what the outcome of those ones If there's some sort of, you know, government insurance fund or something to cover things like that. But certainly as a result of that, the level of identification, um, you know, confirmation required in the property space has just gone sky high. And you're so right, Sarah. It's like, oh, it's just an imposition and it's annoying. And it is annoying but I think probably more annoying is having to spend all that time fixing your credit card and, you know, closing <laughs> all your bank accounts and, yeah. you know, resubscribing to everything. And it's like, Jesus, that takes a little bit more time than a
2: two-factor identification does. And that's the <laughs> best end of the scale, assuming you don't lose money. You know, that's yeah, just yeah. the logistics in a row. But it, it's funny because property has always been, in my view, has always been a lack of a dinosaur when it comes to technology. Like mm-hmm. we're still, I, I haven't bought or sold a property in a few years, but up until recently we were still relying on wet signatures, you know, faxing them off. And that seems to be one of the least. Secure we have moved signatures. past there.
0: We, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but,
2: uh, I'm in Queensland where you still need to get we a joke of the piece to witness like a mortgage document, you know, Um which I always just find so interesting, you know, when COVID hit and we, we moved to the more digitised verification of identity, that was so interesting. At that time, I was actually working for a um like a broker magazine. So I, I had the chance to interview some bank executives about it and I was, I was, it was like exciting for me because I was like, oh, I get to ask all these questions. I was like, why did it take so long? Why did it take a pandemic mm-hmm. to do that? And they said the pandemic kind of transformed it. It reared, you know, 10 years worth of um, tech evolution happened in the space of 10 days because they oh, had to they evolve so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's interesting. There are actually, you know, so many points in the process of property that need all of that verification and all of that stuff. It, that's why buying a property is such a pain logistically. Yeah. Um, Really it's such a process. And if
0: you get any part of the process wrong, then it can really go pear-shaped. It's That's interesting
1: the- where you talk about, you know, necessity is the mother of invention and certainly COVID has accelerated probably 10 years of development in a whole bunch of fields. But it was only fairly recently, um, for instance, with agency agreements in New South Wales, that yeah. you could have an emailed signature.
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: so you had to have a fax when I first set up my business as a buyer's agent which is 13 years ago I had to actually physically have a fax machine Mm -hmm. at first for those times when we had to send an agency agreement to somebody who wasn't in Sydney and to send a copy of it because an email signature was not regarded as a true signature and that was in legislation so that was one of the reasons that that was held back was because of Basically the you know the the lawmakers just hadn't kept up with technology so fancy having a I literally had to buy a fax machine for that odd occasion
0: <laughs> and the uh, contracts can be 40 pages long and that is a very
2: long fax to send right i mean honestly most of the people listening to this if you're first home buyers are probably wondering what a fax even is yes <laughs> Uh, but you I, had, know,
0: I, I had an assistant bought- who used to say um you know what if someone said to him what's your fax number he'd say oh i don't have a fax because of where where i live and they'd go well, why is there no phone service there and he'd go, no i live in the 21st century <laughs> yes
2: <laughs> i bought my first property 20 years ago when i was 21 and the amount of trees we killed for that you know, like there was so much paperwork and and there was, you yeah, know, it's, it it's crazy how it's evolved. And I can remember PEXA, when you were talking about PEXA before and digitized kind of conveyancing, that is still quite new, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it was only what five six years ago that they were really pushing to get legislation through to allow that and it it speeds up what can be such a clunky process and for all of these scams and all of these opportunities for people to swindle us I think there is also so much benefit from this technology as well it helps streamline what can be a really stressful and paperwork heavy process when you're buying so yeah there's there's swings and roundabouts there 100%.
1: 100%. So now we have a question that we ask every guest and you sort of just led into it by saying you bought your first property at the age of 21. Well, not done on that one, by the way. What is one thing that you know now that you wish you knew as a first home buyer?
2: Oh my gosh. I know it already. I wish I'd never sold it. I wish. Oh. I sold it because That was 21 years ago. And if I still had it when I'd moved out and had someone just paying rent and it, it would be fully paid off now. And I would be 41 with a fully paid off property paying me rent. Um I pretty much look at all the properties we've bought over the years. Um I, I was the um, editor of a property investing magazine for a number of years. I was a journalist and editor. So, for about like eight years, I was just constantly interviewing really amazing, you know, high achieving property people. I'm sure I interviewed you a few times, Veronica, back then. Um, and I just, it it meant I was so in the space of property that we used to just buy and sell property as much as we could, which now I look back and I'm like, that was pretty risky behavior when you're in your 20s and didn't really know much. We made some big mistakes, but we also made some great money. Um, (laughs) But I look back on that and I wish that I had, I wish that I had uh, known that, you know, holding property long term is such a good strategy to create wealth. (laughs) Mm. And, you know, I sold a property six months before COVID, I sold it for $635,000 and it's now worth, you know, 1.2. And stories like that, I just think, oh, I knew too. I knew to hold it. But at that point I had, it was causing me too much trouble. It had like nights, and I was just like, I'm stressed and I'm done. And I, you know, I had three kids by then. I think it's also you've got to be realistic about what you can cope with in life. And by the yeah, time we yeah. sold our properties, um, just before COVID, we sold all of our investment properties um, because we had three kids and we both worked full-time and we were like, let's just get rid of all that stress and just have some money in the bank for a hot second, which actually turned out to be great timing because then COVID hit and we didn't feel as dire as we possibly would have felt if we were managing, you know, all of that stuff. Um, but, yeah, my my advice would be to i guess to think longer term don't think of your first property as your forever property my first home was like Bessa brick and tiny and you know is not at all my like the style that i wanted or anything but it was mine and that's what you want you just want to get into the market and you know eventually i'm now 41 and literally this morning just before this podcast i was putting some pictures up on the wall in my bedroom and I reflected, I was like, I'm 41. And for the first time, I actually have a proper, beautiful, grown-up bedroom. Like I've decorated <laughs> it properly and I went out and I went to Maya and I bought a beautiful bedspread. And I was like, this is the first time I've actually had like a beautiful, my bedrooms have always just been a mix match of, uh, you know, secondhand furniture and whatever, <laughs> students' whatever. bedroom. Yeah, it like just whatever. And now I now have a beautiful bedroom and I was like, oh, it took to 41 to get this. <laughs> but we got there. And, <laughs> and I, your children
0: like, climb all over it and yes, mess up the bed. I, yeah. I
2: made the bed. It looked beautiful and then my dog jumped on it. I was like, oh, well, that's, that's the family picture, isn't it? But, um, yeah, it, for your first home especially, just look at what what your goals are. I also think in Australia we have this real obsession with home ownership and mm-hmm. for some people, you um, they, they can feel a pressure like I've got to get into the market, and it's like if that's going to cause you heaps of financial stress, um, then put it off a year or two. I literally was having this conversation with someone at a lunch last week. She's desperate to get in the market, and she doesn't have enough of a deposit. And I said, "Well, just wait twelve months." I said, "You're gonna, the, you're gonna be able to buy more in twelve months now." Oh, but I really, I've got kids, and I really, really want to. And, dah, dah, dah. and I was like, I completely understand all of the reasons why you want to get in, but when you're eighty and look back. You're not going to be devastated that you bought a property at 41 instead of 40 or, you know, it's like right now it feels all of this pressure, but you've got to really look at your bigger picture and putting yourself under a lot of financial strain when interest rates are high, if you really can't afford it is, I, I should say, interest rates are not high, they're actually quite low. (laughs) I really aren't they? It still depends on your horizon. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's different to what it was two years ago. Yes. Different to what it was a couple of years ago. And you know, if it's going to put pressure on you, don't just take that pressure off yourself. You know, no one is, no one is putting that pressure on you. It's only you. And if you buy a property soon, fantastic. If it takes you another couple of years, because you need that time to get yourself a bit of a buffer account and not Mm. be stressed, you know, owning a home is amazing, but there is a real Shift that happens when you go from the dishwasher breaking and having to pay for it yourself versus calling the landlord and saying, Hey, can you fix this? <laughs> um, and uh, I was really fortunate that when we kind of bought our first home that we lived in, we ended up owning um, yeah, a, a couple of investments in between. But we, by the time we bought our first home that we lived in, I had about 10 or 11,000 in the bank, and that was a godsend because I think within a few months of moving in, the hot water system blew up. Mm-hmm. and it felt very comforting to be able, that's not how I wanted to spend my money. Like I didn't want to have to spend two and a half thousand dollars on a hot water system, but (laughs) it would be much, much, much more stressful if I didn't have that money. And I I did, you know, last year and I spoke to a lot of people who wanted to buy their first homes and that they were really stretching their budget right to the edge so that by the time they bought and paid the deposit and stamp duty and mm-hmm. leaguers and all of that, they had like $500 left and I was like, oh, that makes oh, me. that's
0: tight, isn't it? That's, yeah. that's
2: really uncomfortable. I would be like, wait a few more months so you can just build up that buffer account and you can, you know, go into home ownership knowing that you're not going to be stressed about it. It's meant to be a really amazing, life-changing experience for the yeah. better, not, not um, something that puts you under stress from day one. It's funny, you've just
1: given me inspiration, I think we need to to have an episode of reasons to wait and reasons not to wait. And certainly a reason to wait is if you are going to be putting yourself under so much stress mm. and and um pressure. And there's there's reasons not to wait. Like so many people could have bought comfortably Mm -hmm. before waiting for prices to fall and then interest rates go up and they haven't been able to borrow as much money and all of a sudden they're out of the market, even though they could have done it. So
0: it is very individual. But I hear what you're saying. It's just that this pressure to an episode that is reasons mm -hmm. not to buy. Why not to buy? We do. Find the episode number. So, and while Megan looks up that episode number, it's just so important
1: that, you know, that you're buying when it's right for you. And that might be waiting, you know, and it might be now and it might be waiting. And, and, and if anyone's going to try and tell you what the property market's going to be doing in six months time, a year's time, well, you know, read the full or forecast report that we do on the elephant in the room, because (laughs) you'll know that nobody can predict the property
2: market. (laughs) No, exactly. And, and the other thing is that, it's exactly what you just said there the right time to buy is the right time for you and you know I've had a few people recently say is now a good time to buy and and my answer is always for who it right and now it is a fantastic time to buy for some people yes um it's a really terrible time to buy if you're in a you know in a different category like it just but that thing that you said about waiting for prices to fall that just becomes a absolute like, vice of, mm. of analysis paralysis. And I have a friend of a friend who has been saving to buy their first home for so long that he now has enough to buy it in cash. He has got wow. hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. Wow. But isn't that what right. they call financial paralysis? Then he's anorexia. got to make a really, really good decision on that property. He will he never buy one. He, he won't. He will never buy one. It has now been like legitimately mm. probably 15 years that he's been talking about and he keeps waiting. I'm now now he's waiting for interest rates to come down. I'm like, you don't need a loan. <laughs> you yeah. Don't, doesn't loan. matter doesn't matter what interest rates do um, but you know his mindset is just I, I just avoid the I don't, I don't talk to him yeah. there. <laughs> you know, that would cause me to really <laughs> pull my hair out yeah <laughs> I'm looking at him going you've got half a million dollars you could not only buy your first time we could get you into two investment properties and you know we could I've got a strategy in my <laughs> you've got a strategy but we could do this <laughs> we could do so much for you but I know that in his brain you know he's if that's just not where he is able yeah. to go. But the, the kind of the point is exactly that, like the, the right time to buy is the right time for you and your situation. If you have a great deposit and great income and, you know, interest rates could go up another percent in it and you'd still be able to afford it, then now could be a great time to buy. There's very little competition in some markets. It's not like last year where there was heaps of competition driving prices up. There's probably a good opportunity to negotiate and, you know, It's it's it depends on your budget, your goals, your lifestyle, your income, all of these different things. Um, But yeah, like she's singing from the same hymn book. I (laughs) know, (laughs) right? thank you I so talk much
0: to you all day to be honest
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh well i hope you have me back it's been so much fun
1: excellent we will get you back i'm sure there's gonna be plenty of topics that you'll be able to add some perspective to thank you so much for your time sarah we're going to put the link in the show notes to um actually your article on the cyber scams and alerts and security and risks and all that sort of stuff because we really don't want you blowing your hard-earned, hard-earned money hard-earned deposit being at risk in any way to having money leak away when you need every cent
0: you can to get that property when the time is right for you. Absolutely. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for 1st home buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found
1: this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.